Coming up, how a brutal terrorist attack affected one family. You are listening to At Home in Jerusalem, the podcast on Aish.com. I'm your host, Heather Dean. And this week, I'm speaking with Risa Rotman, whose memoir, Terror and Amuna in Harnof, describes the year of upheaval her family endured since the fateful day of the 18th of November, 2014. This was the day that two Arab residents from the East Jerusalem neighborhood of Jabel Mukaber entered Kehilat B'nai Torah Synagogue in Harnof, Jerusalem, Israel, and attacked the men who were praying there with axes, knives, and a gun. Four worshippers were killed that day, and a Druze Israeli police officer who responded to the scene was also attacked and later died of his wounds. Chaim Rotman, Reese's husband, was left with serious brain injuries from the attack and died 11 months later. Risa is in the studio to talk with us a bit about how she and her children managed during that difficult year. Welcome, Risa Rotman, to At Home in Jerusalem. Thank you, Heather, for inviting me. In your memoir, you describe how you learned of the attack and that your husband was among the victims, and you were thrust into crisis mode emotionally and also practically. And you are mother to many children of all ages. I'm just wondering how you handled all of this, the the shock of the attack, seeing information about your husband's condition and the practicalities of looking after your children. So the very first day when the sirens of the ambulances went off, etc., I didn't really, and people called me to tell me there was something happened. I was in denial mode, but once we knew that something really happened, I ushered my kids up to the neighbors, and they stayed there for the day. And my older kids who were in schools outside of Jerusalem and more independent came and joined us in the hospital. Mm-hmm. So I sort of knew the younger ones were being taken care of, and most of the older ones were with me. But on the other hand, I had one daughter who was just after birth with a baby, and nobody was really taking care of her properly. She had gone to my house to be with the younger kids, but it was it was hard for her. Mm-hmm. I was at that moment knew that mostly everybody was okay, but I was focused on where are we? What's going to happen to my husband? Right, I understand. So, how did you talk about what happened with your very young children, the ones who are under age eight or nine? So, my youngest child at the time was a four-year-old boy, and um, I just knew that something, he had, had to have hard feelings. So, I took him at one evening, a couple nights after the attack, and I cuddled him up under a blanket and hugged him very hard. And after a few minutes, I said, there are scary things, aren't there? He said, yes. I said, what's scary? He said that a terrorist is going to kill me. I was even shocked. I lost Mm -hmm. my breath from it. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to put things into proportion, how likely that would happen. So I said to him, if all the pussycats, because Jerusalem's loaded with pussycats, yes. came into my gar- our garden, would that be scary? So his, he nodded his head. And I said, if all the girls came into your boy's school, would that be scary? <laughs> and he didn't like that at all. So I tried to show him that just like, yes, terrorists do come, they do attack people. But it's not something that will likely happen, just like the cats will all come to our garden or the girls are going to suddenly show up in his school. 
I want him to show that these things don't really happen on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. I see. And uh, how was that for him? It was good. And it left us with a mantra for a while, for mm -hmm. about a half a year. What is scary? So one day he told me if all the terrorists would come into our garden. And I thought, that's great. If they were all there, I said, yeah, you're right. It's really scary. But if they all there there at once, we could get rid of them in one big mm -hmm. blow. <laughs> then a few months went by again. And I asked him, what's scary? And he said to me, if all the mommies came into our garden... <laughs> So then I knew that we were past the scary part. Oh, That's lovely. That's lovely. You know, your your memoir is replete with moments of levity and jokes. And not only as a way of coping with all the upheaval, but because your family are just naturally funny. So I'm just wondering how the occasional moment of humor, even dark humor, got you through tough times. Um... One of the things that was really hard for me was dealing with the paperwork, the bureaucracy, because my husband was a bureaucrat and he dealt mm -hmm, with all of it. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden now I had to run around and get papers signed, insurance papers signed, workman compensation papers signed. And I really didn't understand the process and I didn't really necessarily understand the Hebrew so well that was connected. It was very befuddling. So one of the things was they asked me, maybe he won't get compensation because it's not an accident. I said, well, you know, some people are so accident prone. You know, what can they do? Knives are falling into their heads right. when they go to pray. Right. Right. right, exactly. The irony of what qualifies for, for insurance. Um, eventually, your family did establish a daily routine of leaving every morning for the hospital. This was you, that you left every morning for the hospital or clinic to be where your husband was. And the children went to school, the ones who were school age. So I'm just wondering how you and your children coped with the circumstances of just day-to-day -day responsibilities with the backdrop of confusion and uncertainty that year? So I was thankfully relieved a lot of the housework, the social security insurance program provided me with a daily um, helper who took care of maintaining the house, and laundry, maybe meals a little bit. So I really didn't have that responsibility on my head and I could focus more on my husband, Chaim. Sure. And then there was family, but there was also, again, running around with all the paperwork. Mm -hmm. So there was a daily routine that got set up. In the mornings, I would make sure I would, it would be a normal get the kids out of the house routine. At one point, a taxi waiting for me. So knowing that, I made sure that his time to come would be a little bit on the later side because I didn't want to put myself under that pressure and the mm -hmm. kids under that pressure that mm -hmm. now we have to get out. Later, when my husband came back to Jerusalem, and I was the one to get him out, I was a little more frustrated in a natural mommy sense mm -hmm. with like, okay, you got to get out. You have to finish getting yourself dressed. So things ebbed and flowed because as time went by, my littlest boy was dressing himself. and and But then one of my other kids was maybe having a little bit of a harder time with yeah. something else. Yeah, I so it was almost like a normal family flow. Right. There's always something. In normal families, there's always something. And just to clarify for our listeners, that when you say your husband, when he came to Jerusalem, this is he's in a coma this he whole time. He was in a coma the whole it's, time. Mm -hmm. He started off in a proper hospital mm -hmm. um, after his surgeries. Then he ended up for six months in one of the best rehabilitative hospitals in the world, yeah. Beit Levenstein. Yeah. But it was an hour and a half drive away. Right. And then he came back to Jerusalem to a, um, a maintenance hospital. Mm -hmm. And so with each time he was moved somewhere else, 
the organization of the family mm-hmm. changed. Right, right. You just had to adapt to what it was going on. And when we talk about the routine, what I saw throughout the book was, yes, at first, when the crisis was at its initial stages, you um, spent a Shabbat uh, away at, at friends. But you wanted routine and normalcy so much that as soon as it could possibly happen, you, a mother of many children, organized that there would be Shabbat at home. You wanted Shabbat with your family at home, and it should be good and normal for the kids to have Shabbat at home. Right. I mean, um, it wasn't so much that we went out in the beginning. We didn't. We mm-hmm. we just, the food came into us. Okay. Mm-hmm. Right. And we never really went out a lot. Later, as things settled, people started inviting us, and I picked and chose if I wanted to go out or if I wanted to have normal family life in the house. Right. And that was important to you? It was important to me. It was and the kids needed that stability. Right, I understand. Well, listen, I, I just want to thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us about your family's experiences during that incredibly difficult year, Risa Rotman. Thanks so much. You're very welcome. Risa Rotman is the author of Terror and Amuna in Harnof, and on a future podcast, Risa has agreed to come back and talk with us about the term Amuna in the title of her book and what gives her life purpose and meaning. There are many excellent articles and audio classes geared for families, and they're just a click away in the family section on H.com. You can also find many articles on H.com about the 2014 terrorist attack in Harnov. And thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.